Welcome to Life on Mars, a podcast about technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation. You will listen to stories of the best founders, inventors, experts, and celebrities from all around the galaxy. So everybody, welcome to the Life on Mars podcast, the Mars-based podcast, right straight from Barcelona, connecting to the other side of the ocean, if not the other side of the universe. It's Martians talking to robots. Today, we have the pleasure of having here Chad Paitel, the host of the Giant Robots, smashing to other Giant Robots podcast, brought to you by ThoughtBot, one of the most respected rails companies. Actually, I've got very two very good things about Boston. One of them is ThoughtBot, the other one is Dropkick Murphys, and I like listening to both of them on a daily basis. So welcome, Chad. How are you doing? Welcome to our podcast. Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to come from across the universe to... Uh, to smash into Mars. <laughs> Funny story. When we started the, uh, I'm going to give you like some sort of introduction. Is when we launched the company in 2014, and I was living, I was for a brief amount of time living in the states. I sent an email to a lot of Rails companies, pretty much every goddamn Rails company in the entire world. And finally, only two companies answer. It was just, it was not a pitching email. It was, hey, can we meet? I'd like to know how the Rails world is. And one of these two companies was ThoughtBot. It was uh, your, former, your former employee, Adarsh, in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So funnily enough, we messaged, I don't know, 500 companies in the Rails world and only ThoughtBot and another one answered. So how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, there's certain things at ThoughtBot that we do. And one of the things is like we try to respond to everybody. It sounds simple, but, you know, <laughs> that includes like, when people apply to ThoughtBot, we really try to make sure that everyone gets a response, for example. And it's just, you know, it's sort of like a treat others as you would want to be treated kind of thing. And I think that permeates a lot of what we do. Yeah. And one, well, to give some context to people here. So ThoughtBot is a developmental product consultancy from Boston, mm-hmm. although you have multiple offices around the world. So maybe you can introduce ThoughtBot a little bit before we go into the main topic of the conversation. Yeah, we're a design and development uh, mobile and web uh, product company um, consultancy. We work with companies of all different sizes, so brand new startups, much larger companies, um, even in the Fortune 500 and Fortune 50. Right. Who um, and we do basically two things: we help people go from concept to launch of a new idea. So we help validate the idea, figure out what product it should be and then launch it um, together, both design and development. And then because of our deep, deep experience with Rails, uh, with mobile, with design, we also get companies that have existing products and existing teams, and they come to us and say, we have this problem and um, we'd like your help solving it. And that can be scaling a team, scaling performance, best practices, launching a new mobile app, um, and um, we help them do that. And that, that the biggest thing that we're doing oftentimes is working alongside of their team and actually improving their processes and their team while we're working together to, do, to, to solve whatever technical problem they have. You created the company in 20, so in 2003, actually. So you've been through yeah. a lot of, maybe a lot of highs and lows. How, mm-hmm. this, how does the pandemic have affected the company? So if at all, I don't know. Yeah, we just celebrated our 17th anniversary in June. Congratulations. And uh, you're right. We've been through a lot of ups and downs um, over the years. The pandemic um, 
pretty severely impacted um, our immediate, what we've seen because, um, you know, it didn't affect, we don't have too many customers in the travel industry or, or that kind of thing. So existing customers were mostly okay. But what we saw was everyone that we were talking to about doing something new, about starting something new, put it on hold in February and March. Um, and so we saw new engagements, new projects that we were doing completely seize up. Um, and so that affected our sales pipeline and the work, the new work that we were doing pretty severely. And we, for a little while, um, it looked really, really bad, to be honest. Um, and so we made, we made some very aggressive moves to shore up um, things and make sure that we were going to be able to weather what we saw. Um, and fortunately, um, we've been able to do that. So um, now we're very stable and we're operating um, at sort of the new revenue levels. Um, and we've started to see things pick back up. Um, and so certainly a lot of those projects that were put on hold companies have started to uh, to start either get them started or to start thinking about getting them started and restarting conversations with us. Yeah. Also over here, we saw that the, how the sales pipeline dried up literally overnight. And mm -hmm. right now we've been like the last two, three weeks, it's been kind of like taking off again. So it's yeah. reassuring. And I hope that that uh, is also the case for you. So can you give a little bit of context as to how many employees you are, more or less like the size of the company for people who might not be familiar with ThoughtBot? Yeah, we are just over 100 people across six cities primarily. Um, so that's Boston, London, UK, New York, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, Austin, Texas, and San Francisco. And the way that we primarily have worked in the past, and the reason why we were those six cities, is that up until 2012, we were 19 people just in Boston, designers and developers, working with companies all over the world. But if we actually looked at it primarily in the Boston area. And we intentionally stayed that size because we didn't know how to be bigger and be the kind of company that we wanted to be. Not a lot of overhead working directly with customers to create something great in a very authentic, true, uh, principled way. And so um, in 2012, we really, we were coming up on, we were a decade old and we were really thinking, okay, you know, we're in this for the long haul. Are we happy with the impact that we have? And um, we also had a number of people on our team that wanted to live somewhere else. And we didn't really have a way to make that happen. And so we realized instead of thinking about how can we possibly be a 50 or 100 person company and be true to who we are, um, let's not worry about that. Let's think about how do we replicate what we have. And that was when we hit upon letting those people move and growing a new ThoughtBot studio around them that was a replica of the great thing that we already had in Boston. And so now, you know, not everything's perfect, obviously, but we're actually striking a really nice balance where for an individual designer or developer, it feels like ThoughtBot and what has made ThoughtBot great, a small cohesive team of people working together to create great products directly with a customer. 
but then you're part of something bigger. So you're in Slack and you're working across all of the studios on ThoughtBot open source and our internal tools and our culture and our principles and values and that kind of thing. But on the day-to-day product work, you're working with a small cohesive team of people. And we were pretty intentional about that growth and it's worked pretty well for us. So the reason where we're having chat here today or tonight, I don't know what you say in podcasts when you're for, because time is a relative thing, right? Yeah. Recording podcasts. Um, so it's not only because Thoughtbot is the kind of company every Rails development company should aspire to be, because I think you guys are doing a pretty great job in terms of culture, in terms of open source, in terms of sharing what you learn, your podcast, your blog, your everything. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything you're contributing to mm-hmm. the community. But also because uh, a lot of people have been asking me how to run a podcast. I don't know jack shit about how to run a podcast. We started last month. And I said, why don't I interview? Why don't I host one of my favorite podcasts? And so, Chad, thank you for, for joining us and for accepting this, this invite. You mentioned something very great here. It might be a coincidence, but you said when you were a decade old, in 2012, uh, you were started to expand. But coincidentally, that's the year you started your podcast as well. Was that a birthday gift? Or was it part of your strategy of growing? No, it was it was not at all strategic. Um, we had been talking. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Great. Um, I, I run long distances, and I and before pandemic had a little, fairly long commute into the office, and so listen to a lot of podcasts and love podcasts. And so I had been wanting to do a podcast for a long time. But I didn't have the, I didn't feel I had the time to be able to do it. And so in 2012, we actually had an apprentice, Edward Lovell, um, at ThoughtBot. And he also listened to a lot of podcasts and loved podcasts and that sort of thing. And so he really made the argument for us to get started. And, you know, I said, I totally agree. We should totally have a podcast. We should totally do it but I can't host. Like I, I just, so I, I um, didn't start as the host of the podcast. Ben Orenstein did. So, you know, um, Ben was a member of the team at the time. And so Edward and I went to Ben and said, we think you would be a great host for the show. I will sort of produce it. Um, so I sort of lined up the guests and made the show flow and that kind of thing and provided Ben you know, sort of feedback and, and that kind of thing. Edward um, did the early production and, and editing workflow, and Ben was the host. And if we hadn't split up the work that way, I don't think that we would have been able to make it happen. Actually, yeah, it seems like it was an easy sell for them talking to the CEO to create a podcast because he loves podcasts, right? Right. (laughs) Not our case here, but uh, I think it was more like an unintentional byproduct of the pandemic. But uh, but yeah, it's a great idea. So, but uh, you said you were not there from the start. So, how actually how long did it take for you to think like, wow, we're nailing it, right? We're finally getting right the right timing, the right frequency, the pace of the interviews, of the talks, or the content, or the distribution platforms, the marketing. How long did it take till you actually thought this is this is becoming a great podcast? Because for, let's assume I mean I don't remember your first episodes. But um, most podcasts suck for like the, the first 10 to 20 episodes, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, um, it's funny because 
I don't want to say we got it perfect right from the beginning, but because there was so much sort of pent up momentum, because it was something that we had wanted to do for a while, I just had the vision for it in my head for a while. Like even to the point where at the time there was another podcast, the Ruby on Rails podcast, and they would just talk about Rails news and, and that kind of thing. And we have a pretty popular blog where, and we have pretty popular open source. And so they had, they were mentioning us so much. And our blog is also called Giant Robots Mashing into Other Giant Robots. So every time that they mentioned us or the blog, they would play this sound. Um, it starts our podcast, the giant robot smashing another giant robot. So they, there was a podcast that had it like, they would put us all into a segment and they had that audio. And I was like, we you need to use that audio for our, our podcast. And so I asked them for permission to use it. So the show came together sort of really quickly and um but it it started where we were mostly interviewing ourselves yeah in those first episodes which um the audience liked <laughs> because you know it provided a view into thoughtbot and that kind of thing and but we only could get so much material um on a weekly basis interviewing ourselves and talking about ourselves and so the show, I think, really came into its own once we really started to double down on having uh, guests on a regular basis and not just talking to ourselves. And so that took that um, took a month or so uh, before uh, a couple months before we did that. Because I don't know if you if you had the same situation, but for instance, we've been hosting events for since inception of the company seven years ago, mm -hmm. right? But they are not our events, so to speak, because we leverage another brand that's called Startup Grind. And therefore, whatever thing we're building there is a reputation and a like me being the public face of the company is built on Startup Grind, but not a Mars base, right? right? And after a few years, we realized that whenever we are speaking at an event, we're gathering large crowds. And it sort of dawned on me that maybe we should talk more about ourselves. Even if I'm interviewing you right now or other people, maybe in the future we'll be talking more about what we do as a company, but it's, it's great to start talking with some other people and kind of like build your own brand as opposed to somebody else's brand, right? right. Um, but I remember like your first episodes were perhaps, perhaps because you were coming from the open source and mm -hmm. your blog more oriented to developers. Whereas with the time you've transitioned more like to product, yeah. business, management and of course you're a highly opinionated company as well as to how to do things right and all of that so um how did that transition happen was it because you thought like hey we need to justify the podcast by getting more leads or having other metrics and not just target developers you didn't want to build the podcast for developers did you it actually happened a little bit more organically than that um Great. because what happened was we actually did launch a podcast for developers yeah um so it's called the bike shed and it's at bike shed bike shed.fm yeah, right and once once we had that going and um so then very shortly after launching the bike shed we also launched a mobile development podcast which is no longer going and then also a design podcast called tentative and that one's still going it's tentative quite a lot of stuff going on right and so once we had mobile sort of the web focused development and the design podcast going that was when you know it was a natural transition to have 
giant robots smashing into the other giant robots be more focused on the product and business of software because we had event we had different venues for talking about you know sort of deep design and deep development topic actually so it just naturally happened that way um, yeah well i'm interested into that dispersion because actually mm -hmm. that's not usually how people tackle these kind of things but speaking from ceo to ceo right people in your company pitched you the idea of hosting a podcast Whenever we are trying to something, we're trying something new in marketing that requires an investment. It's mostly time. It's not like you splash the cash on on Google Ads or whatever, and then you try to pump it up artificially. We mm -hmm. believe in organic growth. You believe in organic growth, right? So it's mostly like let's get something out there and try to nurture it and everything. But in terms of you need to somehow justify your investment in terms of how many hours you invest into the project, how much you get out of it. Is that something you still calibrate or how did you calculate it in the beginning? Did you, was there some sort of ROI? Yeah, you, you give me too much credit. Um, that's not at all. Most projects, especially successful ones at ThoughtBot, we didn't do that calculation. We did it because we wanted to do it. Um, so we didn't view the podcast as a marketing thing at all we viewed it as a project that we were working on just like our open source project great yeah and so there was no you know there's no calculation around marketing or return on investment in the same way that we don't do that when we you know work on an open source project and how did you how did you transition out of the multi-podcast model into the big podcast so how did you was it hard to balance why did you shut down the mobile one and and well it's all it's we didn't intentionally shut it down it's driven by the hosts right so yeah. um the mobile one sort of just petered out because you know a lot of the people at thoughtbot are the ones on the show and so you know not everyone stays at thoughtbot forever and so yeah. one of the hosts left thoughtbot to go join square um cash um as a mobile developer and it was just hard to keep going at that point we we swapped some of the we swapped in one of the hosts and it was irregular and and they just decided not to continue and it made sense you know if you're not going to really be able to commit something and produce a quality thing it doesn't make sense to continue it, it we take the same attitude with our open source we're pretty um Fair while being a, like we're pragmatic about what open source we we should be working on. So, for example, when active support was clear that it was going to be in Rails and that it was um, um, an important part of Rails, and it was going to like it made sense to think about think hard about where Paperclip, which was our file attachment um, open source, fit within the ecosystem. And where we should be putting our effort, and does it really make sense to actively compete against something that is in Rails if we want that thing to be good and we love Rails? Um, and it didn't. It didn't make sense, and so we deprecated Paperclip, despite the fact that it was that it's a super popular open source project. Um, and I think it makes sense to just think about community, think about what you're producing as a product. And um, and try to make the best decisions at each step of the way.
And how did you, well, first of all, how did you learn how to, as a CEO, because developers are pretty much introvert. You're a developer as well. And um, we find it even more difficult than normal people, because developers were not all that normal, to speak in front of people, but also speaking in front of a microphone that gives you the imposter syndrome. It's pretty difficult and unusual. I've been hosting events sometimes for a thousand people, and I feel comfortable about doing that. But speaking to a microphone felt really weird the first episode, especially when recording the intros at night, right? And so yeah. during the pandemic, maybe I was getting a little bit <laughs> crazy. But how did you learn? How did you, you know, nurture that skill and, and grow it naturally? So I, um, I actually did theater um, all, right. all through high school and at university. Um, in fact, I have a dual major. I have two undergrad degrees, one in computer science and another in theater. And so, and a lot of what I did, especially in university, was more as I um, we started an improv group and then a, a sketch comedy group. And that sketch comedy group was primarily video um, production. And so, as I progressed, I more and more moved into video and audio and producing. And so, this is actually a really great outlet for me speaking at events um doing the podcast uh upcase and the videos that we did there even though i didn't appear on a lot of those videos i was sort of behind the scenes producing executive producing that kind of thing it's been a great outlet for me and you know using that sk other skill set that i have and that other passion that i have that's actually something I wanted to touch right now, which is some things that you think you've done right from the get-go. Because we usually we take a lot of really bad decisions in, in in fields that we're not very comfortable, right? Maybe not in development, but launching a podcast is like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like we're just yeah. learning, learning as we're going, right? And the way you we learn best as developers is by developing, right? So launching a podcast should be like doing podcasts, not actually reading on it or Right. Of course, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, but if you were to start your podcast again right now, well, like what are the three things that you that you would start doing to get it right from the get-go? Is it something that you might be able to reutilize from your early days at your podcast? Well, the funny thing about our podcast, particularly Giant Robots Smashing and Other Giant Robots, is yeah. that it's been going for eight years now, and it is not the same as it was when we first started it. So we started, first thing was we're talking about ourselves, we're interviewing the ThoughtBot CTO and having a technical conversation and we're talking about design and, and the client work we're doing. And then we started having guests on and we're talking about their work and interviewing them and their history and their founding stories. That lasted for a couple of years. And then we transitioned and we went through a whole year and a half two-year period where we were talking about the product that we were developing. Mm -hmm. And we, we were running Upcase, which is a SaaS product. We were running Formkeep, which was a SaaS product. Yep. And we were talking about growing and interviewing um, those. And then we had the one of the co-founders of Drip, which is an email marketing platform, join us as a co-host and talk about their product for uh, six months, I think. And then, um, 
Ben, shortly after that, decided to leave ThoughtBot after, I think, six years. Um, and so I took over as host and went back to the interview format. And we did that for two and a half years. And now we're, uh, Lindsay joined me, um, our chief marketing officer, as a co host. And now we're following along rather than um, um, having random people interviewed on every episode. We have, uh, we asked three different companies to work with us on a monthly basis. So Lindsay and I are doing a show where we take a topic like sales or marketing or um, productivity, or, and we talk about it from a ThoughtBot perspective. And then we interview the three other founders that are at different stages of their companies on that topic. And so every month we're visiting with the same companies and hearing their take on that topic in an interview format. And so it's a very, uh, you know, it's different, but it's still sort of the spirit of the same show because we wanted to, one of the downsides of interviewing and interviewing someone different every time is you lack sort of that through line and that familiarity that you get when you have a set of co-hosts that are just the same every week. And we wanted to bring a little bit of that continuity to the show. So that's a very long way of saying, I don't know that you are going to be able to get it <laughs> right yeah. off the bat. But you also, I think you have to have like an idea and then you have to go with it and you have to be willing to change and experiment and, and that kind of thing, just like on our products. And I think that that is people look at ThoughtBot and they, they look at our playbook and they look at what we produce and w- what we put out there publicly. And they, from the outside, see it uh, as like sort of a snapshot in time and be like, wow, ThoughtBot really has it buttoned down and they know exactly what the best way to do things is and, and that kind of thing. And that couldn't be further from the truth. What we're actually doing is we're just very willing to iterate and change over time and we're very good about publishing the best way n- that we know how now in a pretty professional, structured way of sharing. And so it seems like we really know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. But what we're actually do- really good at is mm-hmm. continuous improvement and iteration. And that is both on the products that we're building, but also you know, we treat the projects that we run as products as well. And so we apply those same techniques. Um, we're very um, reflective on how we work. We run retrospectives and that kind of thing. And then we come up with action items and we, we come up with changes that we want to make and then we actually implement them. Yeah, I'm not saying we should compare our chapter one to your chapter 10 because you're 20 years old as a company, almost 10 years old mm-hmm. as a podcast. So of course we should take things with a with a different perspective, right? right. But there are some common items that, that probably right. help. I really like the whole idea of the podcast has been evolving a lot. And I could tell, I remember like, you know, listening to one podcast would be about, you know, Rails and uh, Webpack, whatever. Then it was maybe the next one it was design. I'm not that interested in design, so I might have skipped right. it perhaps, but then business. And and nowadays it's, well, it's completely different from what it used to be. So but my next different. question is, what keeps it alive nowadays? So why are still you doing it? What keeps the fire alive? Well, I, so I'll just be perfectly honest. There, there, what changing it is what keeps it alive. 
there, the Great. reason why I wanted Lindsay to join as a co-host wasn't just to bring a different voice, more diversity onto the show, but to keep it fresh and to keep myself interested in doing it. It's yeah. hard to do a show week after week for years on end and to stay excited and to stay interested in it and that kind of thing. And so, you know, after two and a half years of doing it solo, it made sense to, okay, what's next? How can I keep this fresh and interesting and, and not get bored with it? And so having Lindsay join and then, sh- then after about a year changing the format to be following along with uh, other thing, even after a year, it was sort of like, yeah, how can we how can we bring sort of level this up and bring a level of continuity? What do we think is missing? So that's that's what keeps it going is because I lo- I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I love um, digging into it. But doing it week after week can be tedious. <laughs> so at the core is the love of talking to people and finding out their stories and that kind of thing. But what keeps it going is you know trying to intentionally trying to keep it fresh. Yeah, actually, so motivation is probably one of one of the things, right? You run out of motivation, but it's easier to run out of motivation when things are going south. And I don't know if that's been your case. I mean, I might remember one or two episodes where you know the speaker, the, the guest didn't show up or something like that. How did you solve these situations? Because when when this happens, it's like, oh man, this happens once, might happen twice. Then you start getting a little bit more, you know, deceived by the project, or maybe you lose the kind of like the magic. Do you keep like evergreen? Uh, content buffered or you record anyways because it, I assume it's very difficult to start with a weekly dedication right from from the get-go yeah um, we've we started with weekly from the get-go but because we haven't ever talked about timely things very much like we've had a few episodes which was like oh WWDC happened the next week we're talking about that but for the most part, what we do is we record on we record as many episodes as we can, basically. Yeah. And that then helps us keep on track when a guest falls off or so we're we're recording every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Um, especially in the beginning. Um, and so that was the way that we would keep the other thing that accounts for is taking vacations and that kind of thing. So uh, I, I would be doing, I wouldn't be fair if I didn't credit our producer, Tom. So a few years in, we added someone to the team in the producer role who took care of scheduling guests and making sure that we, um, we stayed on schedule and had enough episodes and, we could justify adding Tom because we also were doing Upcase at the time, which was heavy, uh, heavy video production as well. So Tom was able to do video editing and filming and everything, and then also and also do podcast editing and scheduling. So what we basically do is we use a Trello board, <laughs> and every episode is a card on the board, and it flows through, um, you know, scheduling. Um, you know, pre-production, post-production, it's posted, that kind of thing. And by having every episode be a card with a date, we can keep track of what, um, you know, we're recording episodes as much as possible. And then we're using the due dates on the Trello cards 
to say, okay, this one is scheduled to go out on this day, this one's scheduled to go out on this day. And by that way, we can make sure that we're recording as many episodes as we can and that they're scheduled, that we are hitting every week on the schedule. Yeah, but I assume at the beginning it was not like that. I'm also surprised, pleasantly surprised that you don't have a crazy integration with a like a clusterfuck of no-code tools. Like nowadays it's like Typeform, whatever Airtable and everything is very complicated. They're automated through Zapier. So you're still keeping it the old school method of Trello, right? Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, what we did was we actually recorded. See, this is the thing. When you've been doing something for so long, you go you you go through periods where you're like, let's try this, let's try that. So there was a period of time where we were basically recording four, you know, four episodes in a week. And then that was the month of episodes. And so we recorded one week out of every month. We did the four episodes, and then we didn't need to record the rest of the month. Um and that worked for a period of time, but it can be intensive to record four episodes in a week. And so then we started to spread it out again. So I guess that's a long way of saying like, it, your, what's going to work for your schedule and that kind of thing is probably varied based on your life and what you can bring to the table and that kind of thing. The important thing is to be a lot of people who do podcasts, and I'm a firm believer in this, you've got to be consistent. So whether it be every week or every two weeks, every month is a monthly is a little too inconsistent, even if you're regularly scheduled. But that's a key component to building an audience and having people listen is that they that they know to expect an episode and that they know that more are coming. And so that consistency is pretty important. So the way that we, and it's just a belief that I, I have and other people who do a podcast have. So the way that we've done that is we establish a week, uh, sorry, a day of the week. So Giant Robots comes out on a specific day of the week. We've changed what day of the week that is over time. But um, you know, we just said Giant Robots is on Mondays. It's coming out on Mondays. And so the episode will be recorded and queued up and whatever, but, and, but scheduled to come out on that Monday. And then, you know, each of our, each of our podcasts, bike shed, that kind of thing, have a specific day of the week that they come out. Consistency is really key. I wholeheartedly agree with that because we've been hosting the offline events since March, April, 2014, at least once per month. And people mm -hmm. ask me like, how do you, how do you do it? How do you do it in December, August when Barcelona is empty? I was like, there's always this individual satisfaction in each one event, right? So we've talked about the, the, let's say, the bigger scheme of things, the motivation to, of keeping the podcast alive over the years. But what keeps you going episode after episode? What do you find in every episode that keeps you going to the next one, keeps you looking forward to the next interview or content that you record? There, there's, so I want to make good shows, right? And so, um, you know, I'm not the, I wouldn't say I'm the best interviewer, like I'm there's you know in the world there's obviously people who are incredible interviewers but I actually really like trying to so I I prep for the interviews um thinking through doing some research and thinking through um how I'm going to flow the questions and and I actually have a little trick which is I actually do quite 
a, a bit of research before the episodes, I don't ask questions that I don't think I know the answer to. <laughs> um, so this is a little, little, so I actually, almost all of the questions, particularly when it was just me doing the interviews, I would really do enough research to be able to ask questions and have a sense of what I thought the answer was. And my goal and, and sort of like the game that I was playing myself or like the, the goal that kept me motivated to do each episode was to like try to dig into something and expose something that was meaningful to the person doing who I was interviewing or to the audience. And, you know, that, that sort of quest of, of, of being able to do that. And when I came away from an episode, you know, you have ups and downs when you're interviewing, you know, <laughs> interviewers are inconsistent. You know, each one is bringing something different to the table, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, the episodes where I walked away and I feel like I didn't, I wasn't able to get to that point are the ones where I say like, that wasn't, the episode is fine. As a listener, you might not be able, you, you might not even tell, but as, as a host and as a person interviewing, I know when, because I had planned out or had a sense of what I was trying to get to and what I was trying to feel away and get, you know, get to the point of where the per person I'm interviewing is being authentic and that kind of thing. I know when we didn't achieve that. <laughs> and that is the game I'm sort of playing with myself when I'm, when I'm trying to interview is like to get to that point. And if I can do that, I feel really good about the interview. Um, and so that's, I don't know, that's the sort of sub game that I'm playing for each episode of like prepping and trying to get to it and then doing it and showing up for the show and trying to get to it. That's, that's what motivates me for each individual episode. Yeah. One of the things I really like, or the kick I get after each event or sometimes during the event is I'm interviewing somebody and then it's like, wow, I never thought about that. I'm learning this, making new connections in my brain as I go through the interview, right? Right. It's Perhaps if you're interviewing people who are not that interesting, you cannot learn from why interviewing them in the first place, right? And one of the things I really like is the way that you very subtly manage to, when you interview, I think you're a great interviewer, but you also, you also get to talk to about ThoughtBot in mm -hmm. your interviews, right? Not a lot of people do that. A lot, most people would just, you know, ask questions, 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 but they would never weigh in with their own answer, which is perhaps sometimes as important or even more insightful perhaps that the that what the other person is saying how do you calibrate that did that come naturally or somebody told you man we should talk more about thought about because we're no, not saying enough things it came, it came naturally so it, it's funny because it's just sort of what i had as a vision but but um so i would plan out the interviews i would do research on the person and and figure out what we we're going to do and it sounds counterintuitive but even though i would have that plan Before we started recording, I would say I, to the person, I think the best interviews are ones where it's not just me asking you questions. It's, it's more of a conversation. Correct. Now, the actual interview is mostly me asking questions of them, but, but trying to start that conversation, not intentionally so that I can share, but um, and talk about ThoughtBot from a marketing perspective. I just think that by letting them ask me questions or by me exposing something about ThoughtBot, 
it's allowing them to then feel like they're not the only one who's sharing. And I think that it hopefully makes them be able to be more honest um, because they feel like it's a back and forth and that I'm being honest and I'm sharing as well. And so if I can reveal something or show something or talk about ThoughtBot, I I think it allows them to open up more and share about themselves as well. And then it's not a purely reactive question, right? Uh, Questioning, because it's not like I'm answering a question and they are just reacting to whatever I've got to ask, but perhaps it keeps them even more engaged or, Mm -hmm. I don't know, showing some sort of disagreement as well, because most of the things... I always like to say, like, my interviews are not a fucking massage because, like, a lot of yeah. people just go there and they ask really generic questions, not a lot of preparations, like, oh, tell us about your company. How big is your company? How many employees have you got? It's like, dude, you can, that information is on Crunchbase or on Wikipedia, yeah. whatever. Just mm-hmm. let's ask something insightful uh, that not only the marketing people can answer, like, ask from the real, you know, meat and potatoes that only a founder or a CEO can answer. So, right, right. In, in, that, in that regard, what have you done? What, what's perhaps, the maybe this this approach that you're mentioning it can also backfire on you right because the other person maybe is not a great speaker or they come mm-hmm. to a point where like they're not react very well or they're just super interesting but they cannot talk on a like on a microphone what's the most awkward moment the moment that you've found interviewing people for the podcast so um the um You can tell. So our episodes are not a fixed length. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> the 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 most awkward ones are probably the shortest episodes because we get on uh, uh, and we start recording and and I've got my questions prepared and I'm asking questions and like I'm getting one word yeah. responses. It's like, did you want? Did you know what you were? <laughs> Like, did you want to be on the show? What are you here? What are you here for? If you're just answering, yep, no, yeah, no, eh, you know, it, um, so, you know, I don't want, I don't want to, you know, throw any individual guests under the bus or anything, but there, there have, there have been those episodes where we start recording and it's just like, it's just, it's not, I'm not getting anything. Uh, you know, it's like, well, why are you even here? Um, and so then we're, we're like, um, there's two ways to go about that. And actually I've done both and it really depends on the person. Some cases actually I've cut it sort of short and we just like, it's a short episode and that kind of thing. And I've just said, thank you for coming. And you know, it's great. You did a great job. And then we released the episode and sometimes we've recorded actually extra long and I don't, you know, do this too much because it's investing time and and when it's not worth it but there is another strategy where you know we'll we'll be recording for 45 50 minutes for someone who's not really um and i've really had to push them and it the episode comes out a lot better because then we cut it down to 25 minutes 30 minutes Mm. um and we are only taking their best parts and the parts where we got to something meaningful um, after really having to walk them through and spend a lot of time almost feeding them like 
you know, can you tell me more about that and really, really digging in and then cutting out my part of where I'm asking them to expand more. And actually, have you ever recorded any episode you ended up not releasing? Because that could be. Yeah, we have. Um, That's pretty rare. I think um, we've only done that um, once or twice. It's more common, especially in the early days where we were um, doing in, like interviews with people that we that were coming on the show, and then would they would say some like we would go into an area that it turned out that they because you know I think it's good I was <laughs> I got them to expose something that then ultimately they weren't comfortable sharing, and so you know we talked about it usually like right after the end of recording they'd be like you know what that part I'm not really comfortable sharing that or whatever and I would say like no problem we'll, we won't included in the episode uh, well, few so more, that was more common two more questions uh, just before we wrap this up because it's getting super interesting but i was i was wondering so maybe it also evolved over the years as i think it mm -hmm. might be the case but in which area do you think the podcast is helping thought about the most in hiring branding lead generation i don't know uh, it it definitely evolved over the years in the beginning it was more directed at designers and developers in our community and it probably helped with hiring and, and reputation the most. Yeah. Nowadays it is more about lead generation mm -hmm. um, and community. There was a period of time where what we were doing was we were actually inviting. So if I was having a conversation with a founder or a CTO at a company about potentially working with ThoughtBot, Uh, it was a little trick we were doing to be like, this is, a, you have a really interesting story. I'd love for you to come on the podcast. That was a great way to keep the relationship and conversation going and also like elevate their status and make them feel good um, and hopefully help close <laughs> the sale. Um, and so that there was a period of time where we're not doing that anymore because now we're following along with the three companies. So we're not rotating. We're not changing out the guests and doing random guests. Yeah. Um, so, but there was, there was a period of time where, where we were doing that. So now it's just about sharing and, um, more on the lead generation side. And it develops, uh, the developers tell you something like, oh, you sold out because now you don't talk about, you know, development anymore, uh, just purely about open source and whatever that never happened. Cause, uh, no, it did happen. Um, <laughs> which is, which is okay. Well, you know, not everyone. Actually, you know, to go back, th there was probably one mistake that we made, which is we tend not to um, be very marketing driven or very um, audience, like um, wanting to intentionally grow the audience. I think we could have done more to cross promote the bike shed and the other shows more in giant robots because I don't think everyone understood. <laughs> that we had a venue for development and it, it's another show. And so if you want that, you're better off listening and going over to the other show. And if you don't like the direction and the conversation that we're talking about here, it's totally okay. We're not, we're actually not leaving you behind. We're just sort of, you know, creating two different channels. And uh, I think we could have done more of that to make it very 
clear that that wasn't going away. It was just somewhere else. And if you wanted that, it was okay to stop listening to this. Go listen to that. All right. And um, one of the other questions I've got is, and I'm being part of the problem here. We're creating a new podcast just like everybody else right now. Everybody's jumping on the podcast trend. It's kind of uncomfortable saying no to so many <laughs> new podcasts. Yeah. So I really appreciate you being here because we're a really new podcast, but I really think that, uh, that we'll be able to throw it into a into a, a pretty successful one. But like, wh- how do you see the, the future of podcasting? Because right now there's a lot of people joining the trend, but I know for a fact they're not going to be here in six months. So how do you see this sort of new boom in the competition? I, I think it's good. I mean, people don't do it. Well, okay. There's a, probably a certain group of people who do it because they like want a successful show or they you know they want to do it for business reasons um and those are the people that won't last uh because if you don't do it because you actually want to do it and then it then i just know from experience it's a grind especially if you're doing a weekly show or every even every two weeks it's a lot of work to do. And so if you don't really love it, or if you're not getting something from it, it's going to be hard to keep it up. So I'm all for everyone who's inspired, who is excited to start a show, to start a show. There's more than enough things to and for new people to find. And the people that love it and stick with it, they'll grow an, you know, they'll grow an audience over time as people find their show and other shows go away and that kind of thing. I'm a big believer in sort of like, I don't know, the free market of podcasts and open podcasts and more is better. Um, and then over time, shows that deserve to, to, to have an audience and be popular and everything, I think, I think find it. Um, so. Yeah, no, in, in a sense, it reminds me of the events industry, right? When we started in mm-hmm. 2014, we're not, obviously, we're not the first ones, but here in Barcelona, the startup ecosystem 2014 started to kind of like take off. It became something more serious. And then over the years, we, we would see new events being created every, or new meetups created every week. But, you know, we've been doing it for seven years now, almost. And, uh, right. and we've seen a lot of them disappear along the way, which is a shame. But not everybody, I think that's part of the, Part of the equation here is one of them is consistency, as you mentioned. The other one is community. And I think a lot of mm-hmm. people don't get community right. You get it right because you're doing a lot of open source and your blog and sharing and speaking at events and all of that. So therefore, people will flock naturally to your new thing, which is because they're, they become your true fans, which is something that we're experiencing right now, uh, which is not a big number we're having, but from the get oh, 50, 60 people in every episode was good start for us, especially because we had no experience, but we've been hosting events. We've been talking here and there, hosting a blog for many, many years. So I think that's the other part that other people are missing. Like you don't have yes. a record behind. So I don't know if your opinion that's is. That's actually a, a really, really good point. This is true, not just for podcasts. It's true for basically any product that you're building. Even if you're building a, a mobile app and you want, you know, it, it's a recipe app. Yeah. If you're not building the best way to make that recipe app successful is to build a community around that topic and build that reputation and that expertise. So start a blog about recipes and great recipes. Um, start um, going on forums and being a part of that community. And, and that's how then people find your app 
and you become your fans and and make your product successful. It's a really great strategy. The same applies to podcasts. If you're just doing the podcast, it's going to be really hard to build an audience. If your podcast is part of a community and an ecosystem and a reputation that you're building, um, you're going to be able to build that podcast audience a lot better. Great. One last question and a challenge for you, Chad. So the question is, we like to make failure more accessible to people. We like to destigmatize failure. So what's the biggest tech fuck up that you've ever done? can be the costliest. It can be just big in terms of something you screwed like really badly. Everybody oh, wow. wiped out, wiped so, out. So, Action so, data. Yeah. Yeah. So my kids are knocking on the window, oh, asking right. a, a question about, they're building a spaceship, a giant spaceship out of a big <laughs> box. Right. And they found the old Wii controllers and they want to know whether they can use them <laughs> on the spaceship. Uh, and it doesn't matter that I'm recording a podcast and a video matter. show. They need, they need an answer. Not working. Working from home is not working. <laughs> um, so the biggest, um, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever told this story publicly before, but one of our first clients at ThoughtBot, when we were first getting started out, we you know, contacted everyone that we knew that owned businesses might need software. And one of those people was my father-in-law. He owns a music online store and brick and mortar store, uh, sells instruments. And so it's a pretty significant business, especially in his area of the country. Um, and he used very old, outdated DOS-based POS software and e-commerce software. Um, it was all outdated and got it, we're talking to him, um, got excited about building a whole new system. And it was a big project. So part of the idea was get other music stores and everything to buy into the product. We knew that it was a big project, but we were just getting started out. We didn't understand really just how big it was. And I think we said we could launch the first version in three months in product, like, and and switch over his store to it. That was way optimistic, especially switching a running business over to new software. Um, and so we grossly underestimated it. At the time, we were also willing and, and we we're just getting started. So we were doing fixed contracts. That also made sense in the context of what we were doing is, is like, okay, you pay this amount and then we'll get other music stores and they'll all pay that amount. And we'll be building the software and the business together. And he was going to, you know, try to get his mu other music stores that he knew of to, to buy in. And we weren't able to do that either. A lot of other stores didn't want to switch over, that kind of thing. So after six months, a year, they still weren't fully switched over. We didn't have fully working software. We didn't have new stores buying in. So we were all, we were still working on that initial three months of pay. Um, and so we were, we were really underwater on the project um, and stuck in a spot where um, this was my father-in-law. Um, and um, 
when you're in that situation, and you probably know, even if it's not your family, you feel an intense obligation to, to work through it and to make it right, because it is your fault <laughs> for underestimating and not running the project appropriately, given what you now know. It is your fault. And so you feel an intense obligation to fix that problem in a lot of those situations. And then layer on the fact that it's family. Um, so in that scenario, we worked like a whole nother year trying to get things in order, grow the feature set, get new people on board, everything, all for no more money. And it was after about that amount of time, we just couldn't continue like that. Like we were doing him a disservice and we were doing Thoughtbot a disservice. And eventually I just needed, we just needed to have the hard conversation about how we were both holding each other back. Um, and I ended up, um, I think we just compromised and we paid back half of what we were originally paid and decided to just sort of walk away from the whole thing and write off all of the losses. Um, and so not only was that a big tech screw up, but it was a big thought bot <laughs> screw up and really early learning about everything, how we should, the pitfalls of fixed bid projects, the pitfalls of underestimating and um, the pitfalls of trying to make something, to structure something where, you know, this is a, it's a big project, huge project, and people can't afford to do it. So trying to finagle a way of doing it that doesn't actually match. Like we, by building a whole other business around trying to get music stores to sign on, that wasn't the business that we had. We had a consulting company, a software development company as the business. We weren't a product company. And so trying to, you know, make something happen in a way that was in a, that didn't match the business that we actually had, we were setting ourselves up for failure as well. And so now we really, we take all those lessons and we like, we, we really avoid that. Um, if people can't truly afford what we're going to be doing, it's probably a good indicator that they, should, they shouldn't be doing it and we shouldn't be doing it. Those kinds of things. Is that the project that inspired the blog post why we don't do fixed speed projects? <laughs> <laughs> probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. I remember that one. It's yeah. like this is the one that I've been sending to our clients. Like, why don't we do big, big, big projects? We could try to mimic that into our blog post. It's like, no, we'll use thoughtbots because it's so great. Like, I will yeah. not be able to to rewrite it in our view. We, we share hundred yeah. percent. We're saying there. And to wrap up, here's my challenge for you. You said that you like your guests to ask you questions. So, what's your question for me? <laughs> um. So, so being in, based in. Spain and running the in-person events in Spain, like, do you feel like you're <clears throat> held back at all by being so locally centric? Where are, where are your clients based? That's a good question. That's a good, thank you for that. This is the first time <laughs> I asked somebody to, to do this, but uh, I like to challenge my, my guests. We're based in Barcelona. Our clients are mostly outside of Spain, just because for four years, we had the website only in English. And so I've got a few, four active clients in the US, the Nordics, 
So Sweden, Germany, even though it's not Nordics, UK, then a couple on the other side of the world. But like, yeah, and Spain's like really not very representative because of the lack of rails over here, but also because they only do fixed speed projects. It's changing, but the culture of fixed speed projects here is just too big. Like everybody does fixed speed or how you call that body shopping. We don't do right, neither. Right. So right, right. it's kind of difficult that we work with local companies, but we're more than happy to uh, working with uh, with companies overseas in spite of, you know, the not overlapping and all of that. But yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, but I think the language can like filtered. And uh, yeah, it's not, I don't think it's holding us back on the country. It's a very good time zone to be working with Asia. We've got a client in, in, in freaking Australia. Right. And then people on the West Coast. So it's very, very not the most convenient because of brutal time zone differences, but at least it's in the center of everything. So like, well, then is the flip side also true? You're very embedded in the community where you are. Does it frustrate you that you don't have more local clients? Not, not really, not really. I think, I mean, it would be great and it's great when we can do it because then Normally, when we mention companies from abroad, they're like to our potential clients, are like, well, I don't know any of these companies. Of course not, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, even though they might be big companies. But luckily enough, we work for one of the biggest consultancies in Spain. And that's like, oh, you work for these guys. And, you know, through them, we work for Real Madrid, which is the second biggest football club in the world mm-hmm. and uh, some other like high level profile companies. So, you know, it's, it's great. All right, that was yeah, that, that was great. You're great at improvising as well. So it's not only about preparing. There's a big part. There's a big part of improvising as well in interviews and uh, good uh, good outcome for the challenge. Well, thank you very much, chat. All this, all the best success for you and uh, Thoughtbot, the Giant Robots podcast, and everything you're doing. It's a successful job, tremendous effort. Been hugely inspired by by you and obviously other companies. But Thoughtbot is a great. You know, when I wear these, I wear these proudly. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, I, I appreciate the fact that this is going to be a video show as well. So you, you get the nice thought shirt. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We are Mars based, an all remote consultancy from Barcelona, specializing in web and mobile development. We help all kinds of companies from startups to big corporations to conceptualize, design and develop solutions for their business using technology. And now, how can we help you? 